Welcome to Living For Him podcast, where in every episode, you are invited to experience the joy of a life in Christ. I'm your host, CJ Cousins, and in today's episode, it is my prayer that the primary emphasis and goal of the following message is that you hear and respond to the good news about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So whoever you are and wherever you are, thank you for joining us. I invite you to listen with an open heart, subscribe for future episodes, and stay tuned for some next steps after this message. Enjoy. And there's a couple that they they come to a funeral and they walk in to the room where there is the viewing that's taking place. And as they walk in, everyone is going and paying their respects. They walk in and they come to the front. And as soon as they come to the front, are you ready for this? The young man that's lying there that they came to pay respects to sits up in the casket and turns and looks directly at them. I know I'm talking to Seventh-day Adventists in here, so the state of the dead right now is what's going through the mind, okay? Let's breathe for a moment. He sits up, looks directly at them. And in that moment, the impulse, because it's a boyfriend and girlfriend, in that moment, the impulse of the boyfriend was not to go, hey, baby, I got you, no, 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 hey, hey. That wasn't the impulse, no. The impulse, as I'm watching this on YouTube, is for the boyfriend to push the girlfriend forward and take off running out the back door. Because what I was watching was a prank video. (laughs) They were pranking this couple. Now, everybody, of course, at that moment, the guy that was there pretending to be dead sits up. State of the dead is still intact, everyone sits up and he starts laughing. Everybody that's there, they start laughing. But there's somebody there that's not laughing. Can you guess who that is? The girlfriend's not laughing, right? Because in that moment of decision, in that moment of crisis, if you will, the, the impulse rising from inside that boyfriend was not, hey, I got you, ride or die. I don't care what's going on. No. In that moment, it was, hey, good luck. I'll never forget this quote. This quote from Todd Bolsinger. At the moment of crisis, you will, listen, you will not rise to the occasion. You will default to your training. Let that settle in for just a little bit there. It kind of stings, doesn't it? Yeah, it kind of does. I had the privilege of sitting through his presentation. I'm not sure if he himself originated this quote. I think he may be quoting someone else. I just don't know who it is. But Tal Bolsinger says, I'm going to say it again. At the moment of crisis, you will not rise to the occasion. You will default to your training. Hopefully, if you're an apprentice of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, and you're growing by his grace, none of us are perfect. But hopefully, as you're training, as you're being discipled, that your training in Christ will cause you to rise to the occasion. Amen? But if not, he's saying you will not rise to the occasion. You will default to your training. What happens when we find ourselves in a moment of crisis? What happens when we're plunged in to some unforeseen difficulty and trial? What comes out of us? 
We've been through a lot, haven't we? And not just this pandemic, that's the easy thing to point at, but there was a lot that was building up to and happened and bubbled up to the surface during this pandemic, many of which we're still reeling from. What have you learned? Have you had some time for reflection? Have you had some time to really look? Yes, it's easy to point at who and, and what is going on outside of us, but have you taken time for evaluation, self-evaluation, to say, how, how have I responded? And not from a place of shame and guilt, but from a place of learning. Have you just sat back and gone, God, what, what are you trying to teach me in this moment? Where do I need to train? We now go to the plain of Dura. Daniel chapter 3. Already prior to this moment here on the plain of Dura, a narcissistic government leader, King Nebuchadnezzar, the kind of narcissistic, egotistical leader that every government leader after should study as a case study and find warning and instruction in. And encouragement, because we know the story. He eventually converts, praise the Lord. But he is now, in Daniel chapter 3, at a moment after the God of heaven has revealed to him through the prophet Daniel and his three friends, who we're going to talk about in a moment, he's already gotten an interpretation of a dream that God had given him of the secession of nations from his time forward until, like a rock, the kingdom of God and a kingdom of Yahweh, later Jesus, Messiah, would come and would crush all other human governments and would fill the earth, meaning that his kingdom is the kingdom that shall last. And he knows that that is the interpretation. And in the moment in Daniel chapter 2, he bows in submission to the Most High God in awe and wonder at his ability to reveal himself in such a remarkable way. But you know what happens to us? We get a little bit of selective... Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We get kind of like selective memory. And what was inside of this king, Nebuchadnezzar, is what began to resurface again. And instead of an image that represents the secession of nations, he, he gets an image that, that looks like himself, and not just the head, the whole body is gold. Gold was representative of Babylon in the dream, but also it was, it, was, it was all through the culture of Babylon. Gold was their thing, okay? And so the whole image now is gold. I want you to understand what's happening here. He erects this image about 90 feet tall, so it's pretty big, pretty tall, pretty impressive, pretty imposing. And his, his, his desire is to communicate a few things. One, he wants to communicate that his kingdom will last forever. Not, this is in direct opposition to the message of God Most High. Not his kingdom, God Most High's kingdom will last forever. Nebuchadnezzar defies that claim and says, no, my human kingdom is what's going to last forever. And I'm going to raise an image now, right? 
and its entire body is going to be gold, meaning that there's going to be no other kingdom but Babylon that shall last. Communicating that. This image also communicates that he wants a display of total and complete loyalty to his reign. He wants a display of total and complete loyalty to his reign, which, listen, his reign in Babylon is not just about him and his ego. Understand what's implied in a reign of a king. That means this kingdom is superior to all other kingdoms. I wonder if you're hearing this. He's saying that this culture is superior to all other cultures. Babylonian culture. Are you hearing this? He's saying this nation is superior. So look how great Babylon is. This image represents all of that. His people are superior to all other peoples. And this is all wrapped up. Bow down to this image. Clearly, we are superior. We rule the world. And I don't know what, what God is it that's going to surpass our greatness. Daniel doesn't seem to be in the picture in this story in Daniel chapter 3, but his friends are. His friends are there. Now, it doesn't name any other Jews. I often hear stories from Daniel chapter 3 that there were other Jews that were present. Well, I don't see that in the text. Outside of these three, as we would say, Hebrew boys, although by this point they're young men. They've been in Babylon Academy and Babylon University, right? They're serving the king. And it's interesting there in Daniel chapter 3, as it describes this scene on the plain of Dura, you almost want to imagine that social media is a buzz. Everybody's there. All the news networks are there. Everybody's, their eyes are locked on this scene. All the celebrities and entertainers are there. They're being interviewed as what's getting ready to happen is about to go down. The band strikes up. The DJ plays his music. It all just goes down. Everybody's getting ready for the moment. It's like the, it's like the Super Bowl halftime show. Okay? Now you're going to see as you're reading there in the text, hopefully you're there already, giving you some time, you're going to see that it's going to repeat. It's going to repeat over and over all of the instruments that are used for the worship of this image. Now I'm going to pause parenthetically here, hopefully to clarify and hopefully to liberate some people here. The mentioning, you hear some interesting things coming out of this story here from pulpit sometimes, okay? The mention of these and repeating of these instruments is not to suggest that there is anything evil about the instruments. I got a few amens on that. Because guess what? You're going to run into some problems if you go, if you go that, down that way. Because guess what? You're going to see some of those same instruments used for the worship of God in the Bible. So, the, so, so the, an instrument is neutral. It doesn't matter what instrument it is. Or where it is situated for the worship of God. That's Bible. 
It's what it's being used for. It's what it's directing them to do. That's the issue. That's why it's repeated. All of this, all this happenstance, all this pomp and circumstance, we'll say, is being used. And yes, music is a very influential tool. That's why the enemy likes to use it. But guess what? God uses it too. Because God wants to influence through instruments too. He does. All right? So let's not go down this weird rabbit trail. It has nothing to do with that. It's what it's being used for. But watch this now. These three Hebrew young men work for the government in high office of influence. They're brought in with everybody else. And this heralder comes forward and basically says, look, once the special music gets going, you're going to hear the announcement. Everybody bow down. And what? It's going to happen. I know some of you right now, you already know the story. But let's just pause. Assume you don't know what's going to happen in the story. Put yourself there. I'm a pastor. My concern here is not just for myself as a follower of Jesus, but I have a concern for the, for the, for the, for the sheep. What are we going to do in this type of a situation when the culture, your friends, your peers... Put you in a situation where all eyes are on you. What are you going to do? What has been your training? What decision are you going to make when it matters? What's your default mode should the decision be imposed on you and catches you off guard and you have to make a split-second decision? What are they going to do as the music strikes? Everybody's watching them. Social media is commenting. They work for the government. What are they going to do? Here's my question to you today. My question to you today really is this. What, what, what do, or what should rather, what should our being plunged into a crisis reveal about us? If we're loyal to the true king, which is Yahweh, which is God, which is Jesus Christ and his kingdom, what should our response to that crisis be? What should it reveal in us? Because it's more than social media, news networks, and so forth that are watching. Our children are watching. Our friends are watching. Our family members are watching. Maybe your social media friends are watching what's on your timeline. So let's let the Holy Spirit help us today. Is that all right? Come with me now. Daniel chapter, Daniel chapter 3. And come with me to verse number 12, because the three Hebrew young men get called out. Because once the music starts to play, and everybody, just see a mass of people on the plain of Dura, they all bow down. They say, hey, our lives are going to be threatened. We're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace if we don't. The threat is death. So we, let's just bow down. Let's pretend like we're tying our shoes. Come with me now. Verse number 12. Daniel, his three friends get called out. And as these Chaldeans, these Babylonians are calling out these three Hebrew young men, here's some of what they say. There are certain Adventists. There are certain 
followers of Jesus. The Bible here says, there are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. And look what the devil does. What he does is he takes a little bit of truth and he mixes it in with some error. Because is it true that they do not bow down to Babylonian gods and images? Well, that's being demonstrated right here because they were still standing when everybody else bowed down. That's true. But is it true that they paid no regard to King Nebuchadnezzar? Was that true? Oh, no. I mean, just flip the page. Look at Daniel 2. It could be that these Chaldeans that are calling them out may be some of the wise men, which would be very interesting, because all the wise men's lives were on the line. But these three young men, along with their friend Daniel, through God speaking through them, their lives were spared. They gave service to the king. Matter of fact, they're there because they serve the king. This, by the way, is not just anybody. These are all the officials and leaders and administrators throughout the Babylonian Empire called there on the plain of Dura. So they're actually loyal to the king. They're they're his employees. They have due regard, as we'll see in a moment, for King Nebuchadnezzar. Certain Jews. Certain Jews. And so what happens? What happens in the midst of these type of crisis moments? What happens with us? What what, what, what does it reveal about us? Well, here's what I hope it reveals. Here's what I hope the pandemic has revealed for you. Or whatever, maybe on a smaller scale, but big in your life, personal crisis you might be going through. What should this reveal to you? Number one, it should reveal that if you're loyal to Jesus and and his kingdom... It should reveal that you stand out because you keep standing. It should reveal that you stand out because you keep standing. This wasn't the first time that we see there in the book of Daniel that these three young men, along with their friend Daniel, stood out, took a stand, right? Remember, they're brought in as captives from Jerusalem, right? Uh, the children of Israel have rebelled against God, been unfaithful. God is long-suffering and pleading with his heart of love to bring them back to himself. They basically say, no, we don't want you. We want sticks and stones as our gods, idols. And so they end up getting sent into exile, right? God doesn't abandon them. He's with the remnant of, of Judah. And these three, three Hebrew young men, along with Daniel, are a part of this group. They find themselves there in the kingdom of Babylon, and they stand on specific things that have to do with the worship of God, that identify them as set apart for God. Their diet, remember we see that, right? Now watch this. Their names are changed. They're given Babylonian names. They're put in Babylonian schools. They're trained in Babylonian culture. They're in the world. Are you hearing this? But they're not of the world. They stand out. 
They asked for a period of time to fast, and they ended up actually being more strong and more wise than the other wise men there in Babylon. They stood out. They had a heart for, of compassion for the others, and they weren't just trying to save their own hides, but they're like, hey, why is this uh, decree to kill all the wise men so hasty? They, they show that they cared about the other wise men. They had a relationship with God and they had a prayer meeting there where they and they thanked God when they received the vision, previous chapter. So they stand out. And why did they stand out? Why did they keep standing? Matter of fact, guys, everybody bowed down and all they did literally was just keep standing. When, when, when the command went forth, they just kept doing what they had been doing, standing. And they had been standing in the previous chapter and they had been standing in the chapter before that. There was some level of, con they're not perfect, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But there was a pattern in their life that revealed some kind of training. There was some kind of rhythm in their life of faithfulness to God. And so they stood out because they kept standing. My wife, she was on a trip down to uh, San Francisco. And uh, while she was there, she... I had a roommate. She was there for a school. She was doing a master's program, multimedia communications at the uh, Academy of Art University there in San Francisco. While she was there for a kind of like a week-long kind of a on-site type thing because she was doing her degree online, she met with it. She was staying with a roommate. Her roommate is Muslim. And she began to get to know her roommate. Her roommate got to know her. And they began to realize that they share some things in common even though they have differences of belief. They both revere and hold as sacred the Old Testament, right? They both share some dietary practices, right? They don't eat certain things like pork, right? Uh, they value their body as a temple of the Lord. They value prayer. And so they began to build on these things that are in common. And as they got to know each other beyond just the, the overt religious things, they just kind of just got to liking each other and... And so she would like to try to pull my wife. My wife tends to be a little bit more introverted and tends to want to just kind of, you know, be by her, you know, pull away. And so she tried to bring her out of her shell and, no, no, let's go and let's just go and see what's uh, out to eat, you know, and let's go out. And as they got to know each other, my wife would go and, and hang out with her. It began to eventually come, you know, out that my wife was a, a pastor's wife. Right? You, by the way, guys, for many of you, you know, that know me, you may know some of my story. Many of you may not. And so, by the way, guys, real quick, this is just a side note. Um, my wife said she would never, like when she was younger, she would never be a pastor's wife. Yeah. And when I was younger, I said I would never be a pastor. And when the Lord called me like Jonah, I literally ran for three years. I literally ran for three years from the call. Now, I didn't leave him. I just left that call. I was like, I don't want that. Right? And then God worked in the midst. I don't have time to go through all the story there. Just totally, dramatically, just kind of say, yep, that's what I'm calling you to do. And then here we are, ta-da. Okay? And so sometimes when we interact with people, we don't want to throw out the pastor, pastoral family title right away. Because sometimes that can be a barrier. You'd be surprised how many people just, Ch -ch -ch. no, 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 no. Okay? Even in the church. Hello. Uh, so, so we just like to just let people get to know who we are. We don't try, I don't immediately just say, hey, I'm, by the way, I'm a pastor. Make sure you put that on my, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't do that. So anyway, she's there and it comes out that she's a pastor. Like, really? You're a pastor's wife? She's like, yeah. 
wow, I would have never thought I would even get to know a pastor's wife. Or, oh, wow. But you're cool, though. <laughs> right? And so anyway, so they end up in a situation now where they're with some friends. They're all eating at a restaurant, and they're all having good conversation. And somebody now that's there, certain Chaldeans. They now, somehow it gets around that my wife is a pastor's wife, and so it gets around, hey, uh, are you sure you should be uh, out with us, uh, pastor's wife? Does your husband, has your husband given you permission to, to hang out with us, uh, you know, normal people? And she's like, oh, I'm good, yeah, I'm here, I'm just having a good time. They're like, okay. As the night goes on, so, so, uh, one of them says, uh, you know what, let's go, let, let's order some alcohol, let's, let's order some wine and, and, and whatever else, right? And so I love this part of the story. My wife is there with her friend, they both don't drink, right, her roommate. Still good friends to this day. And uh, they're like, oh, uh, what are you having, a pastor's wife? Uh, and her and her roommate, they're like, hey, we got some water and we can still have a good time, hello! Right? Look, listen, they stood out. Because they had some things that they were already standing on. They were just going, and listen, they're not perfect, right? They're growing, right? Her, her Muslim friend, where she is in her understanding of, 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 of Allah, Yahweh, she, she, she's growing in her understanding. But she was true to some things that we hold in common. See, she had some things that she was standing on. And in those moments where people were watching her, right? They weren't shackled, as I spoke about yesterday in chapel. They were not shackled by the opinions of others. They were free to be who they are because they had some firm things that they were going to stand on come what may. Even though both of them are keenly aware that they're not perfect, right? They're still growing in areas of their lives, but they had some foundation. Ain't moving from this. They stood out because they kept standing. Now, I want you to understand here that there's some things that they stood on and other things that they allowed themselves to be immersed in their culture. Listen, where we sometimes confuse what it means to have faith and take a stand, sometimes our taking a stand is, is, is something that we're throwing on God because we're actually being presumptuous. Listen, Daniel and his friends didn't put themselves in situations that were going to harm themselves or others and say, I'm just going to do this because I have faith and throw God's name on that thing and misrepresent him, something that's going to harm themselves or others. No, they had things where they knew, though they're serving the earthly king, though they're operating in a culture, they're operating in a way, they're serving in a way that hopefully, number one, is going to represent the true king that they serve. Two, is going to reveal love for God and love for others. So guess what? They're going to stand on those things that God has laid out as principles in his kingdom, right? That are to the benefit of others that represent God and are also good for themselves. They're not going to put themselves in a situation where they're going to now stand for something that's going to cause harm to others or harm to themselves and misrepresent God. And then say, God said, I need to do it because, you know, I need to have faith. That's not faith. That's presumption. That's like the devil being there on the mount with Jesus, and, 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 and not on the mount, rather, on the pinnacle of the temple, 
in the temptations in Matthew 4, Luke 4, and saying, throw yourself off of the pinnacle of the temple. Isn't God going to send angels to kind of bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone? Don't you have faith, Jesus? That's not faith. The devil knows that. He perverts faith. And he wants to lead many followers of Jesus, even in our own church, to think that they're demonstrating faith when what they're actually doing is demonstrating presumption. Repent. Repent. Demonstrate faith in God. Faith in God is always going to represent his character of love revealed in Jesus. It's always going to be for the love your neighbor as you love your self. That's Jesus literally says, Matthew 22, that is the principle that pervades all of Scripture. That's the point. That's the kingdom of God. Let that be your filter as you're thinking about what you're standing on and for in the name of Jesus. Some things that they stood out for, they stood out because of their ethnicity. Certain Jews. There are many of us here that understand the situation that we find ourselves in, even in this society, right? where we end up standing out for ethnic reasons. Sometimes for the good and sometimes not for the good. So we know what that's like to stand out where we're not the majority culture. But they also stood out because the Jews were not just ethnic. Jews was a faith community. They represented Yahweh, God of Israel. And they stood for certain things, and people knew that. But understand that they worked for the government. They were in the culture, and that didn't, uh, that didn't stop them from standing. Some scholars call this what's called in the, Jesus teaches this even in the New Testament, there's what's called a subversive loyalty. Are you hearing this? There's a subversive loyalty principle coming out in the gospel and in scripture. You see it all through the book of Daniel. That means you're, you're, you're in the world, you're able to be in an environment that's not overtly of God. You're able to pray for the nation's leaders, right? You're able to operate in a way that is for the peace of the city, right? Exiles in Babylon. But you're doing it in a way where you do not cross the line because you're standing, demonstrating loyalty to the true king. You're representing his principles, and really, by extension, his principles subvert the principles of this world. Have you heard of that? A subversive loyalty. You're loyal truly to the king of the universe, but you're operating on earth, right? You still have to live in society. You're in the world and not of the world. They stood out because they kept standing. But come with me now, because they're brought before King Nebuchadnezzar. Moving quickly here. Go to verse number 24. Because the threat is that they will be put in the fiery furnace if they do not bow down. And so, they're brought before King Nebuchadnezzar. They basically tell Nebuchadnezzar, you don't got to play the CD again. You don't got to get the band striked up again. Uh, we're not going to bow down. But I want you now to come with me to verse... Yeah, let's see here. Yeah, verse number 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer to you in this manner. I love this. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to, he's able to deliver us. They're just saying, 
he's able at this point. Are you hearing this? He's able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. Listen now. And he will deliver us from your hand. He's able and he will. Are you hearing that? We need to establish what they're saying here real quick before we hear the next part. He is, our God is able to deliver us from whatever you're trying to persecute us with, whatever you're trying to try your situation, you're trying to put us in here that pressures us to move from what we're standing on. He is able and he will. But listen what comes next. One of the three of the most powerful words, the most powerful verses in the entire Bible. Verse 18. But if what? Not. He's able. And he will. But if he doesn't, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Mic drop. They are not going to move from loyalty to the true king or his kingdom, even if it cost them their lives. They just said he is able to deliver us. Then they said he will deliver us. They have faith that he's going to deliver them. But then they come and they say, but even if he chooses not to, and we die in those flames, we're not bowing down. What should being thrown into a crisis reveal about us? Well, it should reveal that you trust his faithfulness to deliver even to death. Even to death. Okay? Not a call for martyrdom complex. Right? Buckle your seatbelt. Look both ways before you cross the street. Right? Don't, don't put yourself in a situation where you're going to get yourself killed. Okay? Uh, Jesus himself, when it was not his time, would leave areas where the threat to his life was high. And he said, you know, I got, I, I got to go. I got, I got some work to do elsewhere, right? So this is not a call to a martyrdom complex. But if you really pay attention to Jesus in the Gospels, you'll discover that he's calling you to a way of life. You'll hear him say in many places in the Gospels, he'll say, he that seeks to preserve his life or save his life will lose it. But he that loses his life for my sake will We'll find it. He'll say, take up your what and follow me? Your limousine? Your mansion? No. Take up your... What is a cross? It's an instrument of torture and death. We've glamorized that thing throughout the centuries and made that thing almost like a fashion symbol. That was, that was like a gas chamber. Take up your gas chamber. Take up your noose. Come follow me. Your master, your king, called you to die. To selfishness. Because that's what he did. He revealed, even at the cross, that he was selfless, even to the point of death. What does it say about the followers of Jesus just before the second coming of Jesus in Revelation? It says that they love not their lives even to the... Even to the... Death. I think it's Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that the call to follow Jesus is to come and die. We don't hear that often, do we? You know why? 
Because Jesus understands something about us broken human beings. And I say this as lovingly as I can. We're selfish. How many of you are married in here? You've probably discovered that. <laughs> yes? Have kids? Parenting? Yeah. We are selfish by nature. But when you come in contact, when you encounter this man named Jesus, and he fills you with the Holy Spirit, you start to live kind of different, don't you? It, by his grace, you start to become less self-centered. He becomes more important to you. Others that he died for start to become more important than yourself. His kingdom begins to become the all-consuming motivation of your life. And when I say his kingdom, I'm not just talking about in heaven when he comes back at the second coming. I'm talking about his kingdom, right? His reign on earth through his people. And that begins to become what his kingdom and him becomes what you're so loyal to even should it cost you your life. That's where, that's where the Holy Spirit's trying to mature you, by the way. That you live in... Do you not... I don't know who made this quote, but it's basically this. It says that you know... No. You're not truly living until you know what you're willing to die for. That's what... It, I believe it's Martin Luther King, Jr. You don't know... I don't know if anybody can verify that. Just raise your hand. But I think it's Martin Luther King. I think I'm paraphrasing it. But he says, you know what you're, that you're truly living when you know what you're willing to die for. And I can think of no better thing to die for, no better person to die for than Jesus and his kingdom. Because Jesus says something, I remember in John chapter 11, that whoever believes in him shall never die. That really and truly when you're in Christ, your life is hid in him, as it says in Colossians. That really you just take a nap because he raises you to life. Matter of fact, you are, you're already tasting of eternal life now in Jesus Christ. But there's one more thing that I want to leave with you as we close. I want you to come now to verse number 24 because guess what? They're thrown into that fiery furnace. For those of you that are going through something right now that's very difficult, and what I'm saying to you may sound like pie in the sky, I want you to understand they went into the fire. The, they're, they're, they were demonstrating before humanity and the onlooking universe loyalty to their God and they were thrown into the fire matter of fact those that brought them to the fire died by the way the reason that Nebuchadnezzar says hey you know God look look guys I like you guys why don't you uh, just play the music again and we'll have another opportunity for you to just demonstrate your loyalty to me because he really didn't want them to die you guys know that right why did he throw it up? Well, turn it up seven times hotter. He wanted to make it so threatening and imposing that they changed their mind. He wasn't expecting them to actually be like, no. Uh, okay, we'll, we'll go. I, I guess that's what. But if not, we ain't bowing down, buddy. And so he's like, oh, I've, I got I to gotta carry this thing all the way through. I can't let nobody see that I'm not making sure that this is a, 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 a life and death thing. So he throws them in. Verse number 24. Some of you right now are in the fire. Verse number 24. The Bible says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying with his counselors, <laughs> I love this, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. And then he says, Look. He answered, I see how many? 
four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they are not what? Hurt. And the form of the fourth, your version might say, looks like a son of one of the gods. But I believe a better translation is, looks like the son of God. By the way, how would he know who the Son of God is? By the way, this divine being that he's calling the Son of God, he says, but I, it looks like I see four men in there. Yes? So this Son of God also looks like a Son of Man. And where else do we hear of the Son of Man in Daniel? Chapter 7. Coming before the Ancient of Days. Jesus, the God-man is in the fire with them. What should, we, what should we be realizing as we're in the midst of our fire, as we're in the midst of our crisis? I want to let you know that he's with you to bring you out. You went into that fire and he knew you were going to get thrown into that fire. But if you go into the fire, it's because he's with you in the fire. And listen, the fire's temporary. He will bring you out. If you are in the fire and you're trusting in Jesus, the fire has an expiration date. Somebody say amen. Somebody say hallelujah. The fire has an expiration date. It's going to end. And he's going to bring you out. Matter of fact, they're looking at, they're looking, I love this. They're looking at them as they're in the, in the fire and they're like, look, they're not even hurt. Jesus. <laughs> Woo! You're in the midst of the crisis and you, you don't even look like you're stressed. Why do you look so serene? If I was under that type of stress, I'd be like stressing out, sweating, drinking, doing all, all kind of addictions. You're in there praising God in the prison. You got a testimony. You may have cried a few times, and yeah, you looked like you were a little bothered, but then you came back and said, but the joy of the Lord is my strength. He said he would be with me to the end of the age. Listen, Nebuchadnezzar actually had to come to the, as close as he could get, because <laughs> the other guys died, as close as he, and he had to say, hey guys, would you, would you please come out? What does that also tell you? Because Jesus was with them in the fire, guess what? That was the safest place to be to the point where they had to be called out because the presence of Jesus was with them in the fire. Is that for somebody today? Is that for anybody in the house today? I don't know what you're going through. I don't. But God does. And he just wants somebody to know today that he's with you to bring you out. The fire is going to kind of doodle down to a little ember. When Jesus returns, there's going to be no more fires for us. Matter of fact, the only fire that we'll be living within is the fire of his beauty and presence. Peace and joy forevermore. But you can tap into that peace right now if you're in a crisis he's with you in the crisis what did he say to, to Paul as he was Saul at the time when he was on the road to Damascus getting ready to persecute some more Christians in Acts chapter 9 what did he say to him he said Saul Saul why do you persecute the Christians he said why do you persecute me because guess who was feeling the persecution guess who was going through the persecution guess who was going through the crisis with his people Jesus, who's just up there high in the sky and removed from our situation? No, Jesus, who's on the ground. Jesus, who when you're crying over your children, he's weeping too. 
Jesus, who when he sees the stress you're under at the job, is there. And he's not sweating, sweating like, what am I going to do? No, he knows exactly what he's about to do. But he's also weeping with you like he did when Lazarus died, even though he knew he was going to raise him to life. Who believes that Jesus is with you in the fire? Who believes that the fire is temporary? You see, I said what the crisis should reveal is because not all of us are here. Let's be honest. Yes, you, you, you profess to be loyal to the king and his kingdom, but you have not always stood out, and you've not always been standing. Get back up. The Bible says a righteous person falls seven times and gets back up again. Get up by his grace. A righteous person falls seven times. The unrighteous stay down. The righteous get up because they have grace. Get up. You may not have had a faith that says, I'm going to trust his faithfulness even to death. He says, trust the one who has died already for you and will strengthen your faith. Get back up. Trust in him. You may say, I have not believed that he's with me to bring me out. Well, he's saying, I'm about to demonstrate it. My Bible says in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, that when Michael shall stand up, God's people will be delivered. Let the crisis reveal that you're loyal to him who already demonstrated his loyalty for you at the cross. Thank you for listening to Living for Him podcast. I pray that you were blessed by this message and that you experienced the good news of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. I'd like to personally invite you to respond to this good news and take the next steps in following Jesus by clicking the prompt in the description. I've also created a resource to help you experience the joy of a close relationship with Jesus called the Life in Christ Daily Devotional Journal. If you'd like to experience Jesus daily, watch the good news of his story unfold throughout scripture, and do this as a weekly small group gathering, then get your copy today in print or ebook by clicking the link in the description. Living for Him exists to tell the story of Jesus for the equipping of healthy disciple makers who extend his reign of love. If you'd like to support the further development of this exciting ministry, then I encourage you to become a monthly supporter by also clicking the link in the description. Your support is greatly appreciated. You're also invited to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting our website at livingforhim.tv. Lastly, we kindly ask that you write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast platform you're listening to us on, and share this podcast with your friends. I look forward to meeting you here again in our next episode, where our desire is that you experience the joy of life in Christ. Once again, I'm CJ Cousins, and I'm living for him.